Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. We are looking today at one of my favorite recent games, Bullet with a Heart After It from Level 99 Games. I was wondering how you were going to explain that. And there's no chance I get the heart on it in the show name, by the way. Yeah, yeah. even like doing it on YouTube and stuff, I've had uh, trouble. I've had to like copy hearts from elsewhere and then hope that like whatever program I'm doing will accept them. Uh, It's a little challenging. But yes, we're doing a review of Bullet. And then we're going to talk about in our design discussion. We've done randomness before, but we're going to specifically look at the difference between input and output randomness, uh, whether the randomness happens before your action or determines the result of your action. And we can talk about what we prefer and what we think works better for co-op design specifically. And speaking of random things, how have you been doing? Uh, Pretty busy. We're again to the end of the school year. So uh, a lot of my students are trying their best to fail, which I understand. COVID is a tough time. So I'm trying to uh, keep them from getting that wish. And then my kids are getting a little wacky. They're, They're ready for the summer. And yeah, covering tons of games. It was funny. I was looking at, uh, you know, like I keep a list for shelf life of which things I've covered. And because uh, like Colin uh, was sick for a little while and then Berndt was uh, needing a break and Jason was like doing some traveling. So there have been many weeks in the like past month or so that I've covered three games a week, sometimes even four games a week. So usually shelf life is like eight to 10 games for a month. I think April and May, it's like up to like 12 or 15. So I've done way too much stuff (laughs) on the YouTube channel. And here's a hint for everybody. You kept none of them. No, no, no. I, uh, well, uh, hmm. (laughs) I I mean, I have no idea. It's possible. (laughs) I'm actually curious now. Let me see. Uh, actually, no, you know what? I, I, I mean, this might change because this is the last two months and I don't do shelf life until six months after. But uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of things on here that are keepers so far. There you go. Out of 15. That's pretty good. Well, I guess one of the things we've been playing lately is Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. Now, I don't want to make this a weekly update because we are playing it and I'm sure we'll review it at some point. But uh, yeah, got through another couple months of that. I think I've been enjoying it more than you, but I've had fun. I'm uh, still waiting for that big plot twist, though. Yeah, yeah, that, I, like I, it's fine. You know, I don't love Pandemic's core gameplay, but I, I think the little twists on this one are fun. I like how the teams work, especially. I think that's kind of cool that you can like get a bunch of cards early to really stem the tide of like whatever is happening in the game. Are they like communist agents sprouting out around the map? I guess. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, but right now the story is not interesting at all and nothing interesting has really happened in the legacy component. So I'm waiting for that. Well, I think they did a better job than they did with season two, where in season two, they just kind of threw you into all these new mechanics. I feel like they're easing you in a little bit better here because what you have to do to win is different, even if the actions are very similar to base pandemic. Yes, no, I agree with that. And the objectives are like slightly varied and like having to track down where the objective is. I'm enjoying it fine. Like, I'm sure something cool will happen in the next couple of months. If it didn't, I'm not sure how much I would care. Well, yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I think I'm ready for it to ramp up after about three months now. I'm glad they did that, though, where season two, I felt like they almost ramped it up too fast. Here, I'm glad they didn't ramp it up yet. And uh, that's getting giving us a chance to, like, get our feet wet and understand how to do things and even build some strategies. It's like, okay, we got this. And then they're going to kick us in the teeth. So I- I'm waiting... <laughs> I'm waiting for the kick us in the teeth part now. You been playing anything else, Peter? Uh, well, we played number one game on hotness right now, right? What was it? Destinies or? 
Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is the number one game on the hotness. Yeah, so that that's uh, Destiny's is from Lucky Duck, a competitive game for up to three players. Uh, that's very heavily app uh, influenced and like story driven, but you can play it solo. What are you thinking about it so far? I mean, I really enjoyed my play. I know I was a little grumpy at the time because it started real bad. Yeah, and then... I'm surprised to hear you say that. You really enjoyed it because I didn't go away from that game thinking Peter likes this a lot. <laughs> well, I, I was just grumpy. I had a bad start. I had a bad finish. But the gameplay was fun. I just wish it wasn't competitive. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my big conflict, too. So, so for those who don't know the game, like the big thing is that you're each pursuing very oppositional goals. Like, without spoilers, my character in the mission was trying to save someone, and Peter's character was trying to kill someone. And as you can tell, those are kind of mutually exclusive. And, like, because I didn't get to my goal before somebody else did, all my efforts were for naught, and I got, like, kind of a sad, negative story resolution. But at the same time, I kind of like the oppositional things, even though I don't generally like competitive. Well, it didn't feel oppositional, right? Throughout the game, we weren't necessarily doing things that were that oppositional though yeah we were like trying to get the same stuff we were kind of racing but it's not like we were i'm gonna knock you down and take your gear or whatever like there was none of that it was really just a race well i I don't know i I kind of disagree because there is like some take that in that if like i so everyone hears each other's flavor text that's how like the rules are written and like for example peter was trying to get this item that i could tell i also needed for my goal and he failed his test, and then I ran in and got it later. So I, I don't know. That that feels pretty cutthroat. Like, the thing is, there's enough items to go around that I think everyone could theoretically complete their goal. But with it such a strict timer, I don't know if that would actually happen. So, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel. I played it. I played a solo game with my son. Like, I kind of led him through it, my eight-year-old. And he loved it. Yeah, I mean, it, the story parts are great, but the game is so random. Yes. <laughs> like, yes, I failed, but... It's not like I failed because I did anything wrong, right? I put in the maximum number of dice I could. I did everything I could to not fail, but I just, it, you're going to fail in this game sometimes. And I don't mind dice luck, but then when there's dice luck along with, oh, by the way, I'm just going to go in, roll less dice than you and take the thing that you couldn't take with more dice. You know what I mean? And actually that'll get into our uh, randomness discussion very good later on. Oh yeah, actually uh, that's a great one. Yeah, because... Yeah, the big thing is, like, generally when you fail a roll, it's not, like, too terrible. They often give you some experience, so actually you'll be stronger the next time you try that roll. But pretty much it just wastes time. Like, that's really, it's not like you have branching effects, generally, if you miss a roll. You just get to try again the very next turn. But it's just all a time-based race. And, yeah, anyway, (laughs) we're getting into kind of a Destiny's review here, and it's not even a co-op or uh, game, so, yeah. Well, it is solo, though, and I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more solo, and... (laughs) Ironically, I wish they had made it solo for more than one player. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's my bid for co-op for Destiny. I I like the story-based parts of it. I like the gameplay parts. Hopefully, they come up with some co-op missions. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Good thing saying that. There is nothing in the system stopping them from doing that. Like I know they already have um, one of the expansions that was with the Kickstarter is uh, 2v2. Like All the scenarios are 2v2, so you have like team-based play. But there's nothing inherent in the skill checks and the app and the story that makes it have to be competitive. So, yeah, good call. I would, I would love if they did some some co-op stuff, even though I think the competitive works better than maybe you do. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think anybody would be sad if they came up with cooperative scenarios no. for it. <laughs> like, I think that. people would be happy. And Lucky Duck, I mean, they're in the cooperative space, right? Chronicles of Crime, games like that. And it's 
it had a little bit of that feel to it because you're like scanning cards every once in a while to do some stuff. So it had a little bit of that, not nearly as much as Chronicles of Crime, but I enjoyed what I was doing. I just got frustrated by the luck. Yep. Yeah, I can't disagree. All right. Well, let's stick with the randomness train and let's talk about the theme of Bullet, shall we? But first, before we get to that, let's thank some of our awesome Patreon supporters. They're not random at all. They're (laughs) wonderful. So if you don't know, we have a lot of stuff going on with the One Stop Co-op Shop. We have uh, this podcast. We have the non-streaming original YouTube channel. We have our new streamed channel with Peter and Steve putting up great stuff every week. We've got a Discord. We've got all kinds of stuff going on. And we also have a Patreon. And you get early access to our videos. You can vote on like which characters we play as. Vote on which games we do. You can play with us sometimes. Lots of cool like little perks there. But yeah, so uh, Patreon helps us defray the costs, like the contributions of putting on the podcast. That costs a lot of equipment. (laughs) That costs a lot of buying games, all this stuff. So we really appreciate all our Patreon supporters. But especially this week, we want to thank MY, who is a co-op lover, Felizwerg, who is also a co-op lover, and Thanaboon Jirkurim. I'm sure that was right. I'm sure that was absolutely right. I, I apologize, <laughs> but Thanaboon is a co-op fan. So thank you to all three of you. Thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. We honestly could not do everything we're doing without you, or maybe we could, but we would be uh, losing tons of money out of pocket every month to do it, which probably means we would do less. So we really appreciate you and everything you do. Actually, as a perfect example, I just had to buy a new webcam for the streaming channel because my webcam died. If you watched our Kingdom Death video this past week, my webcam died halfway through. They're like, uh, your camera's dead. Then I tried to fix it and we lost audio. It was terrible. I've edited it all down now, so it's way better. But we lost uh, quite a bit of time and people were laughing with us through the whole thing. So I guess that's the one part about uh, if you're there live with us, you do get to be in on all the mishaps and in on all the jokes and stuff as uh, people laughed at me frozen faced for a while. <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, I just bought a new uh, microphone to try to improve the audio quality of my videos. I bought a new webcam as well from We Do Podcasts. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff and uh, it's all thanks to you all. So thank you to our supporters. And uh, thanks to everyone listening. But let's get back to Bullet. Uh, The theme. What is the theme of Bullet, Peter? All right. I'm not going to tell you the theme. I'm just going to read you this A Brief History of the Universe, Volume 617. (laughs) Have you read this? I have read it. I'm curious. Yeah, go ahead. In the beginning, there was time so that the universe might have a future. Then wisdom came and filled the universe with substance, mostly rocks, like way too many rocks. No one could move. Balance cleaned up a lot of the rocks so that the universe had less rocks. Then Whimsy made bigger rocks that Balance also cleaned up. This continued for a while until the rocks were really big, and Whimsy got tired of the whole making bigger rocks thing. She started making life, mostly cats. Force allowed the cats to move so that they could eat, and the universe wouldn't be full of dead cats. Memory remembered all of the cats' names, so that the universe wouldn't have too many cats with the same name. Eventually, Gravity showed up to keep the universe together, because the universe without a universe isn't much of a universe, is it? Finally, Whimsy made existence so that our universe mattered. There's your theme. (laughs) I mean, there's also the theme that uh, each of the heroines you are playing as in Bullet is endowed with some kind of psychic or like extra supernatural power. Like one of them can control gravity. One of them can like create matter with musical notes. So they all have like these special powers and and most of them are using them for somewhat <laughs> selfish or nefarious reasons. And they have like these big battles. I think that's uh, where they go beyond the whimsy and the cats. 
But uh, yes, that, that is Bullet. And in terms of actual mechanics, it is a solo, co-op, or competitive game. Yes, usually that means it's terrible, but we don't think this one is, I don't think. I guess we'll find out, Peter. Spoiler alert. Yeah. In the solo and co-op mode, we'll be focusing on you are fighting against a uh, boss, as much bosses to choose from. And the bullets uh, in the name come from these bullets that you put into these bags. And basically, you have this grid of uh, spaces called your sight. And you have to draw these bullets from your bag. And each bullet has a color and a number. And that's going to determine where it goes in your sight. And if they go too far down in your board, like you don't have room for them, they deal damage to you and you can die. But you have these patterns in your hand that say like, hey, I want three bullets in a horizontal row or whatever. And when you get the pattern correctly, you can shoot the bullets at the boss instead. So basically the boss keeps on sending bullets at you. You keep on uh, reversing those bullets and trying to send them at the boss. And if you can kill the boss before the boss kills you, you're good to go. And to do this, you have action points, uh, seven every round. And depending on which character you are, you have entirely unique actions you can take and cards for your patterns. You have special abilities and you're trying to uh, like move your patterns around, move your bullets around, try to get these uh, cards, try to keep yourself from being destroyed. That's basically the idea. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward game until you get into all the nuances of the characters and stuff. Yeah, this is a very visual game. You know, the rules are very straightforward. I could teach them to you in less than two minutes, but trying to explain them verbally is very hard. And I think it's very hard to picture. So if you were having a hard time following that, which Mike, you did a great job, but if you were having a hard time following it, just because it is such a visual game, you can go over to the stream channel. We definitely have a play of it there. And I may even do another one tomorrow because I've been playing it a lot solo and I'll just throw one up on the stream maybe tomorrow as well. So you'll be able to see how bullet is played as well, because I think it's once you see it for like a couple of seconds, you'll totally get what's going on. Yes, totally agree. But uh, if you have not listened to our reviews before, uh, thanks for being here. We do a top five format. We're going to call out the five things that stand out to us most about the game. Could be good, could be bad, could be somewhere in the middle. And talk through them, starting with our number five, which is the least important, but least important of the top five things. So still quite important. (laughs) And working our way up to the number one thing we think players need to know about the game. So uh, Peter, why don't you start off? What's your number five for Bullet? So mine is the components and there's not, (laughs) it was kind of a hard top five to come up with because there's not a lot of complexity to the game. Now there's a lot of tension in the game, but there's not a lot of complexity. So I went with components. I think the artwork's great. If you like the anime style artwork, it's definitely very cool here. The chips I think are really good. There's only one component flaw that I found. And let me see if you feel the same way. They have a color that is supposed to be pink. Or purple. I'm not really sure because the chips are pink and on the board it's purple. And the only problem with that is they have another color that's red, which doesn't look like either color. But remember, those two colors don't look like each other. And literally, they do have symbols on each, right? So for colorblindness, it's great. They're all different. The problem is the only two that look the same are the red and the pink slash purple color. Like those are basically both flames coming up. I mean, there's a little difference on the bottom, but Like, literally, if you didn't see the other one, like, it's easy to confuse which one is which. Now, you'll get it in a second, but that is my my niggling complaint about this. Like, I wish they would have picked purple because purple is much more distinct in this case, and they had plenty of symbols to choose from. Why did the two colors that look the same, did they pick, like, the exact same symbol for? Yeah, I mean, I've never gotten confused between the two, but I also agree that I wish the, like, pink color was more pink. 
Kind of to jump off, though, the other thing I think about the components is that I don't think the key, like, bullet tokens are the best quality. Now, here's the thing. Because we got a deluxe review copy from Level 99, we have the wooden tokens, which are amazing. But if you don't have those, in my review, I think, video, maybe my playthrough video on a non-streaming channel, I did link to Amazon. There are the exact right size coin capsules. People on our Discord have bought them and said they are perfectly sized. You can get 200, which is more than you'll ever need for the entire game and expansions for, I think it's like 12 or 13 bucks. So, uh, oh, yeah, wow. th- th- that's the only like slight negative. I think the tokens could be nicer. And that's like literally the entire game is dealing with the tokens. So if you want to, I would recommend getting the coin capsules. And I think that makes it really nice. Yeah, I think that's a must purchase because the tokens are nice, but the, the wooden discs are, are way cooler. And by the way, I did see I was like, oh, maybe the tokens are the right color or the same color. And no, they're not. They're, yeah. they're the pink one as well. <laughs> like they match the tokens perfectly with the wooden ones. So I'm confused why they don't match the boards. But yeah, I don't know. Again, it's such a small complaint, but the rest of the components, I think, are fantastic. The card quality is good. Like I said, the art's good. The graphic layout is really good. Actually, the rules, I mean, I don't cover this, but the rules are very clear like and, and pretty short. And I don't really have too many questions, you know, and every time I did, I, I looked it up easy because they're so short. So this is a, an example. I've complained about rule books that were too short in the past. I think this one is just the right amount short. Yeah, they still managed to fit in like biographies of all the characters and stuff. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, I don't count that as part of the length of the rule book, but yes. <laughs> all right. So my number five is uh, the cooperative nature of the game. So not the solo play, but the co-op mode here. And this is for me mostly great. Uh, when I play co-op, you can you you basically have these uh, extra actions you have that you use only in co-op that let you manipulate each other's boards for some of your action points or send bullets to each other. And once you get used to the game and you feel comfortable doing that, it really opens up the options. You can like save characters. You can like set up other people's attacks, help them get like huge patterns off. I know in the streamed game that Peter talked about, he uh, helped me to set up this crazy like super attack with my character. I think that's really cool. And there's a lot of cooperation, a lot of table talk that can go with the game. The negative side of this is it can be very intimidating when you're first playing the game just to deal with your own stuff. There is more than enough going on on your board. And I think that people are not going to cooperate much when they first play. Or if they do, it's going to make the game drag to a halt, potentially. This will really make it take too long. So I think once you're experienced with the game, the co-op is a full-on pro, at least for me. But it can, uh, if if you strive to cooperate instead of just kind of doing your own thing, which is what I would recommend when you first start playing, uh, you might find the game a little bit intimidating on your first tries. And one of the nice things they did is they did account for it a little bit because I was like, oh, this is just like playing solo, except with more options and more ways to help each other. But to account for that, they make the boss's health go up more based on player count as well. Now, I don't know if it's a perfect scaling, but it seemed fine with all the player counts that I played it seemed like they added enough challenge for multiplayer. Yeah. The only thing I've seen in especially like really high player count games is like right at the end, you can sometimes set up every other character to die kind of on purpose. And in doing like really clear the board of the last character and they can sometimes kind of squeak into a win that way. It's only really an issue at like three and four player play. But even that doesn't feel too bad because it's kind of cool. You're not like out of the game for more than five seconds. But I guess I should mention there is player elimination potentially. Again, I've never seen it happen except like really late game, but it could happen earlier. 
Well, that yeah, that's what happened in our last game. And yeah, I, I wish they had done something like the bullets would spill over to the next player in line or something, because that did feel a little weird because I did see an opportunity to game it at higher player counts where you basically send all the bullets you can. So at least one person lives, right? But hey, I think you just came up with a good variant. If somebody takes more damage beyond their hearts in their final turn, those uh, damage go on to the other players. So you can't just have somebody be a sacrificial lamb if you do that. Yeah, I mean, easy enough to fix. All right, so how about number four? My number four is adding the bullets is cool. And I will try to explain this. And I think Mike did a good job, but it's it's not the easiest concept in the world to do, again, audio. So you have five rows of five different colors. And when you pull these bullets out, as Mike said, it has a color and it has a number. So if it's number one, you put it in the first available spot, which means if there's already something in that first available spot, it goes down to the next spot that doesn't already have a bullet in it. So these columns have seven spots in each. So at the beginning, you can't really lose anything. But when you have three bullets up there, if you draw four, that means it goes straight into doing damage to you. And you only have like for life for most characters. So each damage is pretty important to avoid. But not only that, but the way it comes in is also cool because it helps you create patterns. And like what you think you might do at one point in the game isn't what you end up doing because of how the bullets come out. And you got, it feels like hundreds of them in this main center bag. And then you're drawing like 10 out around or seven out around something like that. So really you could get all pink in one draw, you could get all yellow or whatever. I mean, I've never seen it go that extreme, but you could get a nice spread as well. And depending on what comes out really changes the puzzle from round to round. So I think the way they have you add the bullets is really neat because it changes the puzzle. Yep. And I'm going to talk about that. And that'll also, of course, be in our design discussion. But uh, my number four are the bosses themselves in solo and co-op play. And there's another one that's kind of mixed for me, although it leans uh, toward the pro side of things. So the bosses are very diverse. You've got eight characters you can play as in the core game, and each of them has a boss on the backside. Every boss has uh, unique patterns they attack you with, because that's something I didn't say. You're not only trying to form your own patterns to send bullets at the boss to try to defeat them, but you're also simultaneously trying to get patterns on your board to match the boss's patterns so they don't do something terrible to you. So uh, I think that works really well. I think the diversity of the bosses is great. They have a very different difficulty level, so you can really like ramp up the game or make it a little bit of an easier teach, however you want to go through it. And I just use the word teach. Uh, Howard is going to kill me for that. If you hear this podcast, Howard, I hate you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think like the bosses work well. I think they have great tension. I think uh, the variety is excellent. The negative is, and this is a minor thing, and it's easily fixed just by going online and looking, but unlike the characters, which they ranked as like kind of beginner or advanced characters, there is nothing on the bosses that tells you how tough or easy they are. And some of them are like nearly impossible, and some of them are like tutorial bosses, basically, and they don't give you any indication of which is which. Now, we have that on our Discord. We pinned a comment that kind of explains it. There's BGG threads that talk about it now. But I just wish that they had had something official just like they did with the characters. Like, why not just write on the boss board, say, one star, two star, three star? Like, I, I always get annoyed with that. We've talked about this in the past when they don't, like, kind of explain the modularity and explain the levels. And it just makes, again, like, the game a little bit harder to get into because you might sit down with your friends to teach your first co-op game. And you just pick like the hardest boss by accident and you're like, this game is stupid. <laughs> you know, it could just have a really negative experience if you don't put a little time into like find out who's who. 
But yeah, no, I agree with that. You know, that's one of my pet peeves too. And it, it what it, it leans me to think is that they didn't play test it enough, right? They, if they don't know which is the hardest, the middle and the easiest, and even if they're wrong, as long as they get a ballpark, and I don't even know that they're right about some of the heroes. I think, you know, the easy ones versus hard. I actually think some of the hardest ones are some of the easiest ones. And I, I guess that leads me right into my number three, which is the character variety and balance. I think, like, for example, the cowgirl, I forget what her name was. She's considered hard, but I find her very easy because she can just, for an action point, remove bullets from your board, right? <laughs> like, she can move herself around wherever she wants to go, remove bullets pretty easily. So I found her actually easier than some of the characters that they considered easy. Yeah, but back to the boss's point real quick. I did talk to Marco from Level 99, and he immediately was like, yeah, the bosses are like blank, 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 blank. And he was like, yeah, we just didn't want to say what the levels were so players could discover for themselves. So it's not that they didn't play test and didn't know. It's just that they chose not to, which, I mean, hey, it's a choice. It's not a choice I agree with, <laughs> but yeah, it's absolutely a choice, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't like that either. Uh, but the other thing, we'll, we'll not only talk about the character balance, but I, I think... The characters are all fun. They all do something unique. And like all good games where you have characters that are unique, it's fun to explore them, play against different bosses with them. Like the combination of your character and the boss's character and your team's composition really makes a difference in the game. You know, I think it's a good job between those of creating a lot of variety. No, absolutely. Yeah, so my uh, number three kind of goes back to your number four, Peter. I called it push your luck because that's kind of how I feel the bullets being pulled from your bag works. And what I mean by that is you often want to strategically have every bullet out of your bag because the round can't end until you've like dealt with all of your bullets that are being shot at you. And also the more bullets you've placed on your board, usually the easier time you have finding like the ideal pattern, you know, or the most efficient way to move your bullets to get a shot off. But the thing is, if you like leave a certain column, like your red column, too full of bullets, and then you draw another red, you're probably going to take a damage. So I really like, and this is where I think the push your luck feel comes in. I really like the kind of tension of deciding whether you want to waste action points protecting yourself and moving bullets around so you're not likely to get hit by the boss. But at the same time, the tension of like wanting to draw them early and maybe suffer some damage if you draw an unlucky draw. And, uh, you know, kind of like just getting that gut check of, oh, man, can I draw one more bullet? I'll probably be fine. Oh, it's the red. Oh, no. <laughs> like, I, I find that a very fun, kind of exciting aspect of the game. Now, like Peter already said, when he discussed it, there is the randomness. You could just get like all reds, theoretically, or you could like draw all fours and just die a lot and be like, whoops, there we go. Now, I, you know, it doesn't usually happen, but it's possible. But I, I definitely think the tension is worth it. And I like kind of the feel of just being on the edge of your seat as you pull out bullet after bullet from your bag. Yeah, well, my number two is going back to one you just discussed, which is the unique bosses in the game. Now, I'm going to try to approach it from a little bit different angle. I think the combination of unique bosses and unique characters makes every game very different. I do agree with you, though. I wish there was a difficulty scaling, although I don't know. I mean, you said there's a huge variety, and I guess I haven't played it enough times to see this, but I actually thought the bosses seemed fairly balanced to me against each other. I, I almost felt like there was not enough of a range, like except for the tutorial boss, which is like has one shield, and even that one you could lose to. It's not hard to lose to that one. Like I didn't feel like there was an obvious first step, easy step 
boss after that. I felt like it ramped up in complexity pretty quickly, and all the bosses were of that same complexity. So maybe there are difficulties, and I just didn't play them all and didn't get to see it because I was playing with different groups of people. So I was, you know, showing it to a lot of different people. So I was trying to find a boss that was easy enough after the tutorial boss, and I never really found one that worked great. I know you suggested one to me, but I thought that one was even a little bit more complex than what I wanted. So in my mind, I thought the bosses were pretty balanced. The other thing is those boss patterns, like you have to do that after you've done everything else on your board. So not only do you have to make these patterns so you can like shoot your bullets at the bosses, you not only clear them off your board, but you send them at the boss and then they need a certain number before you can break their shields. And so the decision between do I play offense or defense is kind of interesting. So those boss patterns really change round around what you're doing too. So not only the patterns you have in front of you, but the boss pattern and, you know, how many shields you have to get to. You sometimes make decisions based on how much you need to break their shield. Maybe you wanted to come up just short. So next round, you could have a really big round and take out multiple shields. Or maybe you want to do something more aggressive this round and deal with the consequences of a boss card. So I think all those decisions are really interesting that come with the variety of the different bosses. Yeah, and uh, one more thing we should say about the boss difficulty, and maybe this uh, kind of is why level 99 chose not to, like, rank them. It can drastically change based on who your heroine is, because some of them are just, like, kind of their special goes really poorly with the boss, or on the other side could be, like, a way that really takes away the boss's disadvantage and makes the boss way easier. So, yeah, I I think the experience will change. But, like Peter said, the key thing is that it's consistently fun, I think, to try out different bosses, so even if it's not like always the same easy or difficult experience, I think it's okay. But yeah, my, my number two is heroin variety, the different characters you can play. And I agree with everything you said. Uh, it's great. You you can have like a fun, different thing. It's a different puzzle each time. Their abilities are cool. They already have a uh, mini expansion coming with four new characters and four new bosses that I've already pre-ordered called Bullets with an Orange after it. And then they're going to have a standalone set with, I think, maybe eight new characters called Bullet with a Star after it. (laughs) So all these icons. Um, All the emojis or icons or whatever they are. (laughs) See, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't want to get into my uh, final thoughts here, but I'm definitely uh, excited to have more content. But uh, here, why don't I do my number one? Sure. Uh, So my number one might be the same as yours. It's like the actual actions of manipulating your bullets and moving them around. I think this is great. I think it's a very tense puzzle combined with kind of like the push your luck of pulling the bullets out and facing them, uh, trying to match the boss's patterns, trying to complete your own patterns. The fact that every single heroine changes how this puzzle works and gives you different tools or takes away tools and makes it tougher for you to deal with it. And their patterns are different. Sometimes you care about a lot about numbers. Sometimes you care a lot about colors of the bullets. Just all this stuff I think is really great. And with the co-op, I mean, like literally, (laughs) if I look at my list, Take everything else I said, points five through two, and they all play into the actual puzzly tactical choices you are making in moving your bullets around to try to make patterns. And I think it is just delicious because it's a challenging yet fun game. You can play it kind of loose, especially against the easier boss and just like kind of do whatever. But uh, it really forces you to think hard and it really changes up the game each time you play, depending on like what you're playing with and who you're playing as. You know, it's funny when you started out, you said you were 
going to talk about the actions, the different type of actions. And I guess how, and I was thinking in my mind, oh, how every character has different actions and things like that. I was like, I wish I had mentioned that in my unique characters thing is like how they have different patterns and like, or they can do different things. Even what you do with your actions is different. But then you started talking about puzzles and that was my number one. So you said you were going to talk about the actions, but really you came back to my number one point as well, which is that this is a lot, a lot of puzzles slash patterns. If you like doing visual puzzles, that's exactly what this game is. It, I don't know that there's an exact one-to-one correlation with like an app game, but it kind of feels like that where you're sliding things around and trying to make these certain patterns so that you can do certain things. I love spatial visual puzzles. It's very tactical, like you're trying to make decisions on the fly with what you should do. You're always responding to what bullets are coming in, what patterns you need. So to me, it is a kind of game that I really enjoy. And I guess I'll I'll go into my final thoughts here. I, I really like this one. What I would say is we've played the orange content. I actually think Bullet Orange, even though it's only four new characters and four new bosses, I think they did a much better job of scaling you into difficulty there. Like from what I've seen from the bosses, what I played from the bosses, they have it on TTS right now, an official mod. So you could try it out. Those bosses seemed like a progression. Like I could tell who was the easiest and who was the hardest a lot easier there, even though they still didn't rank them. It was more obvious to me. And I think if I had my own copy, I would want not only Bullet Heart, but I'd want Bullet Orange also, just because I think it would be an easier way to introduce people to the game. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think there are still some nice, you know, safe beginner characters and bosses to play with in Heart, but Orange gives more options and also has some, I believe, even harder. Two of the four bosses are like ultra difficult. So I guess they kind of uh, served both ends of the spectrum there. Well, yeah, like I said, I thought the bosses in this one were actually fairly comparable. I mean, the ones I played, certainly anyway, and I played most of them at this point, at least once. Now, maybe they were harder than I realized, and that's why I lost. I just thought it was bad luck, but maybe it was this, that they were almost impossible, or I picked the exact right character to go against them. I don't know, but I, I certainly loved exploring all of them. So even though I had some negativity to say about it, I enjoyed every game I've played of it. Yep. Well, I did too. I guess that goes in our final thoughts. This is uh, one of my top games of the year. It was my, I think, first or second most anticipated Kickstarter from last year. I was super uh, hyped to get it. I'd only played it on TTS. And how about you, Peter? I really enjoyed playing it physically as opposed to on TTS. Did you have the same experience? I did. The, the components definitely lead to that. Definitely having the heavier chips. Or like you said, just get the coin protectors for the chips. Just visually doing the puzzles is a lot easier. Although I think the TTS mod is great. I I really do. The official one that they give you is awesome. And it's awesome that they did that, right? Because it's not an expensive game. I think you play the TTS mod, see if you like it or not. Because here's the one thing I will say. You and I are real high on this game, but not everybody I played with was. My daughter liked it. My son liked it for the first game, but he didn't like the second game as much. As the complexity went up, he liked it less. He was getting stressed out. I know Jerry said he didn't like it when he played it. So I don't want everybody to think that this is like a game without flaws or a game that that everybody's going to love. I think if you don't like these visual spatial puzzles, you might not like it as much as Mike and I. I think Mike and I really like these type things, and I think they did a great job with it here. I guess the only game I could compare it to that has a spatial puzzle thing that we've done recently is Kingdom Rush. I mean, it's a very different visual spatial puzzle, but I think I like this better because it was faster and easier to get into, personally. Yeah, I I just love this game. I I don't disagree with you. Some people aren't going to like it. It's definitely very spatial. It can be somewhat luck-based. 
And also, some people might like competitive better because competitive, like co-op and solo, can go a little while while you carefully consider each of your moves. But in competitive, you have a timer and you're just like racing as quick as you can to deal with your bullets. Because if you run out of time, you just have to draw bullets without being able to do anything about them and probably die. And every bullet you clear gets sent over to the opponent while more and more bullets keep getting added to the mix. So it's like this insane, chaotic dance with death until one of you falls off. So some people might like that better. And I, the fact that the game offers both is great, but clearly we're mostly playing it solo co-op and that's definitely my favorite. But yeah, uh, full recommendation for me. I love this game. And have you done the other solo mode, which is the score challenge? Yeah, so score attack mode is, I think, kind of like a way to practice a character and it works really well. Basically, like you're just clearing bullets. There's no boss to worry about. And the bullets you clear come back. So like you keep on having more and more bullets to deal with and you just have to survive as long as you can. So it's entirely fine as like a practice mode. I would never like play it beyond that. I'd rather play competitive or like the boss mode. What? You don't want to compare our scores to each other? Come on, Mike. People love that. All right, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So I, I think, again, a high recommend for both of us for Bullet. So let's get on to our design discussion. All right, so just to explain the concept here, we've talked about randomness before, but to get specifically to input and output randomness, the idea of input randomness in a game is that a random element happens, you draw some cards, you roll some dice, and then the players get to take their turn, get to take actions, get to play those cards, what have you, and they kind of get to deal with the randomness, but what they're doing is not in itself random. So to give you like a few examples, if it's a dice placement game, like, uh, you know, one deck dungeon or something, I roll all my dice, that's input randomness, it's being put into the puzzle, but I get to deal with those dice and use them as I like, and they don't get rolled again, besides like me using powers and stuff. Or in a game like Pandemic, I draw cards to determine like where the uh, disease cubes get set up. But then I get to use my actions to consistently get rid of those cubes. It's not like I have to roll a die to find out, did I actually clear that disease cube in, uh, you know, Maracaibo or whatever. That's not in Pandemic at all, is it? (laughs) Maracaibo, that's like a Euro game. (laughs) Yes, it is. Absolutely. Sorry, Maracaibo, I'm sure you're doing great. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so that's input randomness. The opposite of that is output randomness, which is where you make a choice, you make a play, and then you, you know, often roll dice or draw cards to determine like what actually happens with it. So, and that can be pretty limited. Like in Gloomhaven, I make an attack that does three damage and I draw for my attack deck and see like a modifier, which might just be like zero or plus one or minus one. Or it could be huge, you know, where like you roll like 10 dice for an attack and you might miss entirely or kill yourself or blow up the opponent or like you draw a card to resolve the action. And I think there are some blurry lines too, right? Because your pandemic example, yes, it's input randomness. You're putting stuff on the board and then you get to do actions to remove it. But it's also a little bit of output randomness because you've done stuff to clear the board and then you're drawing cards to see if that city you couldn't get to or chose not to get to blows up. So I think there's a little bit of both. And I'd say that's true for Bullet as well. Yeah, I guess that's it it depends on how you think of it, because like, yeah, an event card drawn at the beginning of your turn or drawn at the end of the previous turn has the exact same effect. (laughs) You know what I mean? Sure. I tend to think of output randomness as specifically like determining whether your action was effective, but you're right. Like in a way, whether or not your action was effective in pandemic is based on whether that particular city came up or not and whether you saved it from an outbreak or didn't save a different place from an outbreak. So no, I see your point. 
Uh, but, but Peter, I, I want to ask you, like, kind of first, which of these do you think you tend to enjoy more, or does it depend on what kind of game you're playing? Well, one of my favorite games of all time is Castles of Burgundy, and that definitely has input randomness, where you're rolling dice, and you have to make choices with what you have. It, it leads to very tactical experiences, where you're dealing with what you have been given from round to round. So I do like that input randomness, but I'll be honest. Output randomness does something for me that not a lot of games do. And it it works even in our own game designs. I'm playing one and we'll just roll terribly, terribly, terribly. And you just feel awful. If you watch our last week's Kingdom Death Monster, you'll know what I'm talking about. You get these lows in the game, but you also get these highs that you can't get without having those lows, right? Because then everything might work out like two turns in a row. Or the moment that one thing does work out that you've been waiting for, it feels really, really good. So I do like them both, but I like them both for different things. If I'm playing a competitive game, I really prefer input randomness. I don't want the thing that I draw out of the bag or whatever to determine whether I win or lose that competitive game, but it doesn't bother me as much in co-op. And I think it leads to more exciting things with output randomness. So for me in a cooperative game, I'd prefer output randomness. I don't mind the input randomness as well. If that helps you make your decisions, make more tactical decisions. So I kind of like both, but for me, I don't love output randomness in competitive games. Unless it's Blood Bowl. Well, yeah, but I mean, that game's just great. <laughs> for those who don't know blood bowl everything you do is output randomness it's like i want to dodge roll a die i want to punch that guy roll some dice <laughs> that's like the entire game <laughs> as, as long as you go in with the right mindset then it's fine even in those games there's a lot of luck mitigation in that and i, I mean i guess i say that but it depends on how quick the game is too like can't stop is one of the games, like, at the end of the night, whenever we're done, Jerry and I will play, like, two hours of Can't Stop. And I know that probably sounds ridiculous to people, but, like, we'll just go for a couple of hours, and it's just fun to push your luck, right? So that's a competitive game. I don't mind the output randomness in. Well, yeah, so you're getting into a few different things, like competitive versus co-op, and also, like, weight of game and length of game. On the, the co-op side of things... I do think that output randomness is often pretty important. And one of the reasons for that is it can help to prevent like alpha player and kind of the game state being a puzzle that can be solved by like all the players at once. Because if I have to roll some dice, depending on which choice I make, there is no absolute correct choice because yeah, like maybe this action is slightly more likely to succeed, but maybe if I go do that action and get really lucky, it could like have a majorly huge effect on the game. Don't tell the people at the blackjack table that like they think there is an absolutely right choice, even if the other one works out. So some (laughs) people might tell you that there is a right choice because it has more probability of success. Even if your action actually ended up working out, they'll tell you how wrong you are anyway. Well, I I mean, that, that is a good point. Like if you know the probabilities, is it like really as much of a choice? I don't know. But yeah, so I I think output randomness can be good for co-op. I think input randomness can often be better for solo because a lot of solo players like to have a challenging puzzle laid before them and then like take the time to kind of map it out and figure out what they want to do and find like an optimal solution. Although some solo players just want to play a dungeon crawler and roll some dice and chop off heads. <laughs> so, I don't know. Well, I mean, there, there is the mage knight crowd though, that does want that beefy puzzle for sure. But yeah, to, to your point about output randomness, having the highs and the lows, I'm kind of torn on that too, because I agree that you cannot have the highest of highs often and like the most exciting, oh my gosh, stand up at the table moments. 
without often some kind of like output randomness or like die roll or some kind of craziness. But sometimes the lows can ruin a game. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I know Destiny's is a competitive game, but I think the output, I, it, I'm, I'm glad you had a better experience than I thought you did, but I think the output randomness in that game was pretty crushing for you, especially in the first half, right? Like where you just kept on failing again and again. Well, and that was a rich get richer issue as well. I mean, not an issue, but you know, it was a situation. Now for the game's benefit, I then was able to still come back. And at the end, I thought I was going to actually win until again, had some bad luck at the end of the game as well. But that, I mean, that is what that game is, which is fine. I mean, if that's, if you know you're along for that ride, then you're going to be okay with that. But you also said something about rich get richer, which I think is really important. If you're going to have a lot of output randomness in your game, I think it can be nice to give consolation prizes for really bad roles. So like you just said, Destiny's has this where you get experience when you fail a role. Robinson Crusoe gives you like little tokens you can spend for your character abilities, their determination tokens. I think that's a good thing to do because... This is sort of a different topic, but I know I despise having my action feel entirely wasted. Peter, I know, <laughs> yes. is very much the same. Like that's a kind of a, one of our core design philosophies. And I think uh, if you get a Constellation Prize or one of my favorites, this actually goes back to how I play RPGs. If you're going to have output randomness, kind of determine how the success of an action goes, give the player a way to mitigate it by like with a cost. You know, and not just like a reroll, but like, oh, you failed that? Well, take some damage and it succeeds. You know, or spend that precious resource you were saving up to play that awesome card and it succeeds. I like that kind of stuff a lot where it becomes like a resource management thing. Yeah, like mitigation. Yeah, like and and and, and controlled mitigation. Because a lot of games have mitigation just in that you can reroll again, but the result might be the same and you've wasted a resource. That's <laughs> that's worse. That's worse than losing the action in the first place. I lost the action twice and I lost some of the resources at the same time. So I like mitigation where it is a controlled automatic thing if you're willing to, you know, hurt yourself and spend stuff to make that happen. Yeah. And I mean, I guess Blacklist does this real well with their latest games where if you fail something, not Street Masters, but the other ones, if you fail something, you get a token, which then later can be used as a success. So it's almost like a half a success. And then the, it's even better when they have what you said, where you can spend those tokens on other stuff. So I think that is a good system. Although, to be honest, if you think about it real hard, it's still failing. But at least it's failing that makes people not feel as bad about it. But it's still failing, right? I mean, you'd much rather have one success or a success and one of those tokens, I think, is on one side of the dice. That's like three times as good as the one result. So I guess there it's you're going from a half to one and a half, whereas sometimes it could be zero, one, or two. But at the end of the day, the game should be balanced where if you failed every time, you're still going to lose, right? So, I mean, as good as it still feels, I mean, it's still the same thing when you think about it at the end. Well, I think for, for both output and input randomness, I think there's a lot about agency and like the players feeling like they had some control over their fate. I think input randomness tends to give the illusion of that, even if it's not entirely true. You know, like, oh, yeah, OK, I got these random cards or oh, yeah, I got those random dice, but now I decide what I do with them. You know, and <laughs> the thing is, sure. those random dice could be all the wrong dice and you could do like none of the stuff that you actually need to do, but at least feels like you're more in control. So the same kind of thing, like with the blacklist thing you said, 
yes, it would have been better just to roll the best thing in the first place and not like have to deal with these tokens and use them later for a future roll. But at least I now have these tokens and I feel in control of my fate and I can make sure I pass it next time if I failed this time. I think that's a positive feeling for a player, even if in the end you're right, like the randomness is still hurting you in the grand scheme of the game. Well, I mean, I think that's what makes it smart, right? You're still getting hurt just as badly, but it doesn't feel as bad. So, I mean, Jerry has said this, and and this is off on a little bit of a tangent, but he said he hates in Arkham Horror LCG where you have enough to pass and all you're doing is drawing to make it go lower. You're losing things that you already had. Whereas it would have been the exact same system to say, okay, you have four points of something, you need to reach five or six or seven, and those modifiers all been positive. It would have been literally the exact same thing as, oh, you have five, you need four successes. Oh, you got minus two. Now you only have three successes, right? It's the exact same thing. It just has a different feeling to it. And so I think it's smart if you can make people not feel bad about their failures. And so I think if you can do that in output randomness, then you've achieved something really good. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, Arkham LCG is one of my top, top games of all time, and I would rather have the system you just said, because as much as I love that game, the Chaos Bag is still one of the <laughs> consistently demoralizing and frustrating aspects of that game. And yeah, just just the the output randomness being presented as a positive factor rather than a negative, I think, does have a psychological effect on the player and can be a positive thing. Although, I think that an argument can be made that the theme of Arkham and the tone they're going for is for that doom and gloom and for that desperation. So maybe uh, for some designers, that's what they want to go for. They want it to be punishing the players. They want it to all be negatives to your result. And the randomness only can tear you down, not lift you up. You know, like maybe that's what they want to go for. Sure, absolutely. And I think that's smart to do, right? Using different forms of randomness leads to a different feel for your game. And depending on the feel you're trying to evoke, right? If you're going for a horror theme, not necessarily just Arkham Horror, but any kind of a horror theme, being afraid of the dice is a good thing. If you can generate fear in your players because of the mechanisms you've chosen, I think that's nothing but positive. Yeah, so... I mean, we said a lot, but I guess in the end, everything can work. I mean, the only thing I would say is don't uh, (laughs) don't have constant output randomness where it's all or nothing and like pretty bad probabilities. Here's the thing. Output randomness feels worse when it is the greater totality of your turn. Like to give an extreme example, if my entire turn, uh, I'm thinking of uh, (laughs) Darkest Night here, Darkest Night from uh, Victory Point Games. That's one where if you're playing with only one character instead of like playing solo where you control everyone, you only get, if I remember correctly, like one action a turn or two actions a turn. So your entire turn is I am moving one space or your entire turn is I'm trying to deal with this curse. And I think output randomness is worse and this randomness in general is worse when it is the all or nothing of your turn. Like if you only get one action and because you failed this role, your entire action is invalidated and you basically had no turn, you might as well just laid your pawn down. I think that is a time that you have to be very careful with how you use randomness if you're very limited in what your players can do in a given turn. Well, what if your whole game comes down to that one roll at the end? I mean, that, I think, drives people crazy sometimes, right? What's that one game where you're trying to hunt down and kill Hitler? Oh, yeah. Well, I I thought you were talking about uh, Salvation Road, which (laughs) certainly has that. (laughs) Sure, Uh, we definitely have that. Like, yeah, you've done all this stuff the whole game. Let's see if you won at the end. But yeah, that, that one game. Black Orchestra is what you're talking about. 
Black Orchestra, right? At least for Salvation Road, it's over one way or another then, right? For Black Orchestra, you can do all these things to build up. And based on a die roll, you could lose like all your stuff you did to build up. And now the game expects you to keep playing, but like with none of your stuff anymore. So now you got to do it all over again, like over and over. And I, I don't know. At that point, I feel so demoralized that I wish the game was over a lot of times, you know? <laughs> yes, no, totally. So it's interesting because, you know, the the fruits of a lot of turns can be built up to one pass or fail roll. I guess there's a lot of games that do that, though. And more than we realize, like every dungeon crawl, like if you're on the final boss fight, you've done all this stuff to get there and you just roll snake eyes on that last roll. That could be it, too. So I guess there are a lot of games that do that, but they typically don't make me feel as bad as if I got to keep playing. I mean, in, in a way like that, that that's the pinnacle of tension, right? If you get your balance to the exact right razor's edge where it comes down to a final die roll and the players like scream or cheer or groan, depending on how it goes. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess that's showing my sensibility. Some players might despise that and want to strategize so well that they destroy the game on like turn two and <laughs> there's no challenge at all. But uh, for me, I definitely like that tension at the end. Yeah. I mean, I guess as long as you get a good story or a good something either way out of it even if it's just a story with your friends, right? Like you want memorable moments, although you don't want people flipping the table after they're done. That's for sure. Yeah. So don't flip any tables, everybody Uh, go and play some games, random or not, but I think we'll uh, leave it there for today. Sounds good. All right, Mike. Well, thanks for uh, another great design discussion and uh, you know, and, and this patting myself on the back section at the end here. Yes. Th- thank you, Peter. You are you are also great. <laughs> <laughs> We're good enough. We're smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like us. Yes. And go play some Bullet. It is a very, very good game. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week with another Top 5 list. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. Alright, we've started. So sing away. Hello. Sing, 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 sing. Oh, you actually wanted me to sing? (laughs) I tried to get you for the outtakes, but you know. I just got myself. (laughs) Wow. That'll top the charts. That's a new hit right there. Hey, Mike. Yeah. When you said you were going to come over and bring Bullet, I hid in my safe room. (laughs) You know, I suddenly want to sing, uh, what's that song? A bulletproof, nothing to lose. Fire Fire away, fire away. away. Ricochet. Okay, that's about the extent of my lyrical knowledge of that one. (laughs) Nice. I like how you've combined the end and the outtakes all together.